Eat, drink, smoke, where we eat the fine food, drink the fine bourbon, smoke the fine cigars. Tony Katz, it's so good to be here. Uh, Fingers Malloy is with me. and We start with the drink, but putting it to the side for a, for a second, we'll get to it. When we recorded last week, we were just getting word about El Paso, that there was a shooting at a Walmart. It's all, all we knew. And when these things come out, you guys have seen it just like we have. Nobody gets the story right at first. It's impossible. It's impossible to get a story right at first. Too many sources, too many people. Then people thrown in their political opinions in the second minute. They don't know anything, and it's awful. So one of the rules I have for radio and one of the rules I have for here uh, is you got to wait. You got to wait. You got to get the information. You then can process it and, and, you know, and talk about it. And then 12 hours later, so there are 22 people now is the, is the toll. 22 people dead in El Paso, Texas. And 12 hours later, nine people dead in Dayton, Ohio. So the guy in El Paso, we know, uh, writes this manifesto. And then there's a question whether or not it is his manifesto. And he's talking about how he wants too many Hispanics and they're taking low-paying jobs. And then they take the high-paying jobs. And then it's, it's, he, he went specifically to, uh, to shoot people and kill people who are Hispanic. And then you read the, I actually read it. Like, I never read a manifesto for whatever. I hate the term. I hate everything about it. He's complaining about government and the Republicans and the Democrats. And then there's a whole thing about the environment in there. Ramblings of um, uh, a madman. Um, 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 yeah, um, I, 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 don't, I try not to use that expression as well, but I don't know what else to call it. Right. Right? No clue. So that happens. And then Dayton happens. This guy who is, uh, he's an odd looking cat, man. And he, the first thing he does is he murders his sister and the boyfriend, and then he's running around, and he's in body armor. The guy in El Paso was wearing ear protection. That's it. And that's the weirdest thing ever. He's worried about his ears. He actually wrote that he wasn't going to be taken alive. He was taken alive. Uh, the guy in Dayton, he's wearing body armor. He's running around in this in this uh, uh, kind of like an entertainment district there in, in Dayton, Ohio. Nine people dead. If he was able to get into this bar called Ned Pepper's, you would have had 100 dead people because it would have been everyone stuck in one spot and nobody with a firearm, nobody able to defend themselves. So you had both these things happen. You had what people, of course, in the media are describing as this white supremacist, which I'm not saying he wasn't, right? And you want to call it white supremacist terrorism? For the record, fine by me. You want to call it domestic terrorism? Absolutely. I have no problem with it whatsoever. I don't know why people on the political right are getting hung up. Are on this. It's, it's okay to note something as it is. You got Senator Ted Cruz calling it. It was Congressman Jim Banks from Indiana who he, he came on the, the radio show. He was like, he put out a tweet, I think it was that day or the next day, and it, got, it, it, it went viral because people were like, oh look, a member of Congress is calling it what it is. Call it what it is. Let's, we, we have no time to screw around, but you got to know what <laughs> the subject is. You got to know what actually happened before you can start going out there and making these kinds of of proclamation. So we've got this guy who makes this this white supremacy claim. Then you got the Dayton shooter. This dude was a Bernie Sanders supporter and Elizabeth Warren supporter, refers to himself as a leftist, uh, g- gave us pronouns and, and everything else. And notice we don't use names. We just don't. We don't do that. So we have in the span of, of these 12 hours, these two shootings that sent America on this political insanity and you could see kind of where the meat, you could tell now for sure. I shouldn't say you can't, you could see. You could tell for sure how they play things, how they try and push narrative, how they try and do all this, how they want to tie it uh, to President Trump. And you'll see the Dayton shooting, right? That's all El Paso. You'll see the Dayton shooting fall off the map. And it's already starting to. So, like, so that's, that was as we were recording last week. So now we can kind of get into it. So I just want to make sure everybody knows we don't avoid we don't avoid anything here. I mean, when the NRA started having its problems, we talked about it. We've got friends who, who worked for NRA TV. Right. Fingers and I both appeared on NRA TV. Several times. Regularly. So it's, it's not new uh, to us. And you've and you got you to gotta report all the things. you got to talk about all the things. And, and we do. Let me get into the drink really quick because now we're going to need one as we set that all up. <laughs> so we've done New Riff before, New Riff Distillery. And uh, we've done the bourbon. They've just come out with a rye. So this is a 95.5. This is 95% rye right here. Nobody here at Blend Bar Cigar 
where we record in Indianapolis, Indiana. Your right fingers? Uh, that's uh, you took it's something on the nose. <laughs> oh my! Uh, nobody's even had it yet. They opened the bottle uh, for us right here. So this is a ninety-five-five. Uh, this has been aged uh, just over four years. A ninety percent, ninety-five percent rye, five percent malted rye in a new charred oak var- barrel. This is fifty percent alcohol by volume. So this is 100 proof. I actually think this is a little higher. I think this is a 113 is where we are uh, in, in, in the proof on this. In terms of color, it is beautiful. Wait a minute. How it, can it be 50% alcohol yet 113 proof? That's what I'm saying. I think the bottle I saw said 113 okay. proof. Okay. All right. Not 100 proof. Okay. Right? The alcohol by volume is half of the proof. The color in this thing is beautiful. It's, it's, this, uh, it's this lovely amber. I think you can almost describe it as copper. Um, you can see through it, but you, it, it makes you feel good when you look at it. This is how the nose gets described. Oak, marzipan, rye, and baking spice with uh, dried fruit. I thought I caught a hint of marzipan. Honestly? I have no idea what that you is. You know what one of the other descriptions is? Cornbread. I can, that's there. Yes. I think cornbread, cornbread is cornbread's like the best description I've seen in a while. Because they usually like get kind of stale with these descriptions. That is a strong nose, though. Almost a brown sugar nose, too, which could be the marzipan. And you, you pick it up. You don't have to put your nose in the glass to, get a whiff, <laughs> to catch a whiff of this. I mean, your head could be a good six inches away, and, and you're smelling this bad boy. So now on, uh, we haven't taken a sip yet. We do it neat, and then, of course, we've got the big rock uh, here. Um, oak toffee again with the marzipan uh, and some uh, raspberry licorice, possibly some leather. I'm not getting the leather. Have you taken a sip? No. You got to take a sip. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not on the nose. You're on the palate, right? So here goes fingers. He's taking a sip. And he's The leather on the tongue right away. Really? Right away. Hold on. I'm ready. Hold on. Here we go. Here. Let me do the thing. And the licorice on the way out when you exhale. Oh, that is way fruitier than I thought, too. Oh, wow. Raspberry licorice. Yep. Hot. Damn! Did you catch the leather on the tongue when it, when it when not it, as much? I'm going no? to see if that develops. It was a little a bit of a sting on the tongue, but the raspberry licorice might be the best. And and I don't think of it like like a dessert raspberry. That is sweet though. No, what was the one we had a couple weeks ago that was too sweet? Where we were all we 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 took a step back and said this is a, maybe for a dessert liquor uh, or oh, something. Uh, that was methamphetamine. I don't recall. <laughs> I, I can look it up. That's uh, okay. I, this is. This is heavy, though. I mean, this is now into the full chest. It didn't burn down the throat at all, but this is warm in the chest. Oh, this is... You know, sometimes we talk about things like last week we did bourbon. We did the old Granddad 114. Marvelous. M- yes, but it was exactly what you think bourbon is, right? It was direct. It was focused. It, it had a couple of notes to it, but it was just easy. And at $26, $30 a bottle, hell yes. Yeah. This is complex. This has got a couple things going for it right here. And that finish, that dried fruit. I almost want to go for the richer fruits, like the dark fruits, as opposed to dried fruits. Um, but it's there. But, I, you know, the thing is, oh. I didn't notice a burn going down, but it's still on the lips. I still got a little bit of burn going Do on the know? lips. Yeah. Oh, that is. See, that doesn't taste like rye. I So... So I, I I don't know it, it's it's maybe it's just what I've eaten today maybe it's just the mood it's a little fruitier than that raspberry licorice man that's a almost a raspberry licorice or a black cherry I don't know which way I go we we did a Jack Daniels rye did we not yes we did single barrel rye and it didn't have that this fruity flavor to it but when you said this isn't like a rye it remind I'm getting that rye flavor yeah that. Had made me have flashbacks to the Jack Daniels rye, but the Jack Daniels rye didn't have that licoricey raspberry. This is aftertaste. The dark fruit the, and marzipan's a, a good call. Cornbread on the nose is a good call. Dark, and I wouldn't say dried fruit, dark fruit. This is richer than you think it's going to be. Oh, this is worthwhile. This is worthwhile. I don't know if this goes into everybody's liquor cabinet. You got to try it. Come to a blend bar cigar somewhere else. Try the new Riff Rye and then decide. Uh, for example, Old Granddad, it's without question. It's in your liquor cabinet. Old Granddad 114 has to be in your liquor cabinet. This is really nice, though. 
You're not happy on the cube? Well, no, well, I am. But you, I could see where someone who may not necessarily be all in on Rise could drink this and, and say, okay, this, this gives me something different than what I was expecting from a rye because mm-hmm. of the fruity flavor to it. Wow. That's, that's something. Let me get back to where we were. And we, where we are is how America has responded to these two events. Now, there's the political response. There's the gun control response. Uh, there is the what do we as normal people think response. The political response is exactly what I thought I would get. What I wasn't expecting and where, even for me, it's rare to engage this level of pushback, right? I'm not a never-Trumper. I have never been a never-Trumper, ever. But I'm, I'm honest, right? I am not an idolater either, right? I am not, everything he does is absolutely perfect. There are things he's done I'm surprised about and they've worked out. I'm like, okay, good on him. There are things he's done where I'm like, that's exactly what you're supposed to do. I love it. And there is things he's done. I'm like, uh, would, would just stop talking. And get back to policy. That's all I'm at. Remember, you work for me. That's all I'm asking right. for. It's, it's all I need. I was not humored by this immediate push to, oh, this is Trump's fault. He's a white supremacist. And he goads white supremacy. And he pushes white supremacy. And, he's, and you know, he called all Mexican rapists. And, and then there was Nicole Wallace on MSNBC who declared that he once said that he wants to exterminate Latinos. And the guy she's talking to, Raul Reyes, not only agreed, but two days later he was on CNN. It was, it is one of the more unbelievable, I mean, in a world of everybody's gone beyond the pale, this is something to make you stop and go, what the hell did she just say? Yeah. And here's a guy who agreed with her and he's good enough to be doing other TV. The political response to this in screaming Trump guilty, Trump white supremacist, I have never pushed back on something. This week has all been, stop this, stop the madness. Well, I want to double back to what you began the conversation with, and it was what we were talking about last week while this horrific event was unfolding and the media reaction started to... uh, The the hot takes on Twitter started uh, hitting the internet. And we had a conversation about white supremacists and white nationalists. And I said, it is being overplayed and it's ridiculous that Democrats are trying to paint the Republican Party as being taken over by white nationalists and white supremacists. And then we find out some of the th- issues that, that went on in, in, the, in the manifesto, some of the things he right. said. I still stand by my comments last week that this is overplayed. This is the new Russia, Russia, Russia Absolutely. for Democrats. But the thing that I find most upsetting, but I shouldn't be surprised, is we've talked about this previously, where the media, the mainstream media, no longer reports news. They craft narrative. Yeah. And... The shooting happened, and immediately the narrative is, like you said, Trump's words are responsible for this. Trump inspired this. And I want to go to, Tony, a piece that was written uh, by Byron York. I don't know if you saw it over at the Washington Washington Examiner. Examiner. Yeah. Uh, He posed the question, did anybody actually read this manifesto? I'm raising my hand. I did read read it. People in the media, though... You have to wonder if they did or, you know, if they did and they just didn't care. There's one particular passage in his manifesto that I think is very important and and needs to be discussed. He says, I'm not mentioning his name, my ideology has not changed for several years. My opinions on automation, immigration, and the rest predate Trump and his campaign for president. I am putting this here because some people will blame the president or certain presidential candidates for the attack. This is not the case. I know that the media will probably call me a white supremacist anyway and blame Trump's rhetoric. The media is infamous for fake news. Their reaction to this attack will likely just confirm that. It can't be more plainly spoken that he says in his manifesto, Trump had nothing to do with that. I felt like this for years. And yet, what was 
the narrative coming out of that shooting. Trump was the inspiration for all of this. It's just another example of how Trump derangement syndrome and media bias has taken over the mainstream media. All right. Well, so let's get into, I think, the, the component parts of that. I'm, I'm not going... I have discussed the fact that he said it, his thoughts predate Trump. And I am not surprised, like you're not surprised, that media didn't care about that at all. Because it certainly did not matter to them. I, I hate to take a guy who just murdered 22 people and be like, you see, you see, you see how smart he was? He knew it was coming, right? That kind of, I, 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 I tend to shy away from that moment. But if you, predicting media reaction isn't the biggest skill anymore. No. Because media reaction is extremely predictable. Blaming Trump, I expected. Oh, it's just the rhetoric. The proactive screaming that he is a white supremacist. The continual lying about, well, you know, he called on Mexican rapists. No, he did not. Put me on record. No, he did not. What the, the, it is so easy for someone who doesn't like Donald Trump to talk about policies and talk about things he says that they don't like and decide to not vote for him and try and convince other people to vote for him. You don't have to lie. You don't have to lie. It's not necessary. You don't have to make up a single thing and you can put together an argument. It's super easy to do, but they do. And as we've often discussed and I talk about on air all the time, the left always overplays their hand. They can't just have a conversation. They can't just push their point of view. No, it not only is, is Trump a racist, not only is he a white supremacist, he literally pulled the trigger and then laughed like the Joker. It's, it's that kind of, when you are willing to say he wants to exterminate Latinos, what, what else are you supposed to do except say stop? How is she not suspended? Nothing. Nothing happened to Nicole Wallace, by the way. Crickets. Nothing happened did to the, her. Did, did the network even release a statement? Um, I don't recall if they did. So if they did, I don't know it, but that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean they didn't. But I wanted to, to follow up with this idea of look at the places they're willing to go and did they read anything? Did they read anything applies now to the mayors across America. There is a U.S. Conference of Mayors and 237 of them, 243 now, have, as, of, as, of, as of talking right now, have signed a letter. And the letter is demanding that the Senate be brought back and pass some of the House bills that have come out on gun control. So one of them is the the Bipartisan Background Check Act of 2019, and the other one is the Enhanced Background Checks Act of 2019. So on this first one, uh, it would require all firearms purchases to undergo a NICS background check. So they mean private sales as, as well. Help to prevent dangerous individuals from obtaining deadly weapons by circumventing the laws on the books. I don't know how they're circumventing the laws on the books, which means they're breaking the laws. How are you, are you, you're going to create laws to style, tell them they can't break the law? Lawbreakers break the law. In these two cases, by the way, no one broke the law in terms of the purchasing of the firearm. They were both purchased legally. Prohibit unlicensed transfer of guns through unregulated secondary sales. Again, that's about uh, selling directly. Increase law enforcement's ability to trace crime guns. Well, I don't know what a crime gun is. I assume that's a gun used in a crime. That's the only way I could think about it. Really awful 70s TV show. Right? Crime guns. (laughs) (laughs) But I can hear the theme song right now, right after Starsky and Hutch. That's about creating a gun registry. Count me out. I'll have nothing to do with with a gun registry. And I'll get to red flag laws in a minute. The letter starts by saying, on behalf of the United States Conference of Mayors, we urge you to immediately call the Senate back to Washington to take action on bipartisan gun safety legislation. It's addressed to Mitch McConnell. It's addressed to Chuck Schumer. Already in 2019, it continues, there have been over 250 mass shootings. Your exact words, fingers, were, did anybody read the manifesto? My question is, did anybody read this letter? Did any mayor of the 243, which includes, by the way, our mayor in Indianapolis, of Joe Hogsett? Course. And a couple other uh, Indiana mayors? Did any of them read this letter? Did any of them read 250 mass shootings and look up at their staff and go, do we have any proof of this? Do we have any proof of this at all? No, we don't, Mr. Mayor, but just sign the letter anyway. It's good politically. Yes. Yeah, yes. It's, it's about do-goodery. So there's a site called The Truth About Guns. 
I've used them once or twice as, as a source. And what they went through is where in the world do they get the statistic? Because the, the statistic is false. And it comes from something called the Gun Violence Archive. Now, I know about the Gun Violence Archive. Follow this. They will take almost anything and find a category for it. So let's say we're talking about school shootings. Let's say we're talking about school shootings, and this has happened. Someone decides to take their own life, and they drive to a school parking lot in the middle of the night, and they use a firearm and they commit suicide. The Gun Violence Archive puts that as a school shooting. Now I ask you, is that a school shooting? Of course not. That's not a school shooting the way any rational person would engage the conversation of a school shooting. That's how they configure mass shooting. So not only is it not based on what we consider to be the standard definition, uh, if you will, and I think we could come up with one and we all have one, they also involve shootings where there are no deaths and injuries that don't necessarily come from guns. So as they describe it in, in the piece, which I thought was really good, if, if uh, a gun goes off in a parking lot and four people trip and fall, that's a mass shooting. Is that a mass shooting? Of course not. And yet here we are, not one mayor of 243. You're asking about, did anybody read the manifesto? These are mayors. Did, a, did any of them at anywhere at any time read this thing? Any of them? The answer is no. No. And they signed it just like they went to scream about just white supremacy and don't worry about the rest of it. They can push a narrative and make you forget, make things get hard and solid in the mind. That's what they're doing here. That's what these mayors, Republicans and Democrats, who claim to care for their constituents, they care so little, it seems, that they didn't check to see whether or not the statistic was valid. It's not important. The important thing is my name is on a letter talking about, uh, what do they call it, common sense gun control, common sense gun laws. That's, that's the important thing. Again, crafting narrative over facts. But what bothers me too, Tony, is when stuff like this happens, we don't talk about things that are more important than the tug of war over gun control. Why did it take so long? And, and please, when you're listening to me, I'm not criticizing... I, I, I'm not anti-law enforcement. I'm a huge supporter of law enforcement and, and the police. But the reaction time in El Paso versus Dayton. Yeah, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that's actually a bad question. I think it's more of a, hey, can we get some information on this? Because El Paso went on for 20 minutes. Dayton went on for 24 seconds. Yeah. The police had him dead in 24 seconds. That is stunning. Really and truly Stunning. 20 minutes? And I think people go to not only 20 minutes, but 20 minutes in Texas? Right. In tech, nobody fired back? So there's a whole, I mean, there, there are a couple of, of, of questions there that, honestly, it's not about, you know, wanting to find blame or yell at Like an answer. Yeah. You know, we it's, assess it is, what happened and figure out how we could do better, God forbid, the next time this happens. Because it is going to happen again. But we are being taken away from that conversation by this, this constant need to have uh, a gun control debate that really isn't a debate. It's just m a monologue, and you need to, to go along with it. And the, the whole red flag law is completely terrifying to me. Is it? Yes. It, does it scare you? Yes, so, it does. So red flag laws are, are laws where you can have someone's firearm taken away from them. Really, it's about taking away their Second Amendment rights. Now, it's done in certain ways. So here in Indiana, which might end up being the template for America, it's called the Jake Laird Law. And so the Jake Laird Law is about is an officer named Jake Laird who was shot and killed by somebody who they knew was mentally unstable. So it's about how police can, with a warrant or if circumstances require, take away someone's firearm. It is where circumstances require that I have all the issue in the world. And I've written about this due process before any and everything. So the red flag laws are about you should be able to take away someone's firearm if they're mentally unwell, mentally unstable, can do harm to themselves, do harm to, to other people. Now, where, where do your issues lie with red flag laws? Because the incremental taking away of people's freedoms, and I go back to the 70s, and this is apples and oranges maybe, but I think it is a, a good comparison. In the, in the 70s in Michigan, they passed a seatbelt law, and originally 
the the way they got it through was they said, listen, we will never pull anyone over just because they aren't wearing their seatbelt. It'll be a secondary violation if we pull you over for speeding and we notice you aren't wearing your seatbelt. And then, sure enough, seatbelt laws did or seatbelt laws didn't affect traffic deaths the way that they thought it would. So then, all of a sudden, they said, okay, the law's already passed, but really, it's not doing enough. We need to be able to pull people over for not wearing the seatbelt. And they eased their way in. This red flag law, I've heard proposals out there that there would be a, a 1-800 tip line where you could call and say, listen, uh, my brother-in-law or my neighbor seems mentally unstable. Uh, we need to look into this. And it, 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 that may not happen today with these red flag laws. But when they have a red flag law that passes and it doesn't have the outcome that they want, then, well, listen, we need to expand the power of these red flag laws to include it an anonymous tip line. And then all of a sudden, you're a person that has your guns taken away, and you may not have the financial resources to get those guns back. I, it, it's a slippery slope for me that I, I just find terrifying. Here is where I, I, I disagree. Here's where I, I disagree. First, we have to understand what conversation means. Because we hear this in America a lot. We need to have a conversation about it. We need to have a conversation. We need to have a conversation about red flag laws. We need to have a national conversation about conversations. <laughs> the, <yeah>. <laughs> so <laughs> a conversation doesn't mean that somebody agrees with you. I am more than willing to have a conversation about red flag laws. Due process has to come first. You can't simply have a police officer say, you lose your Second Amendment rights, or I think you're a danger, so we take all the guns out of your house. I don't accept that for a second. I can accept the idea that somebody can be adjudicated, found by a judge, to be mentally unfit, because that already exists right now. I do accept the fact that we can create systems in states. There are 17 states that have red flag laws. Uh, we can create systems by which you can go through a process to have this done. The reason why I'm okay with it is because when some kid does a shooting, when some adult does a shooting, we look at those parents and say, how did you not know? Why didn't you do more to stop them? You might actually have to give them the tools in order to help them to stop the horror that might come. We don't disagree on the slippery slope. I mean, there's an interesting uh, a, a tweet from uh, Marco Rubio, and there's a response from Cam Edwards, who is the uh, editor-in-chief of, of Bearing Arms, right? And BearingArms.com, uh, formerly of, of NRA TV. You, do you have that? Yeah. All right, well, read it. Here is Marco Rubio's tweet. Our red flag proposal is the best path forward. Unlike some of the other ideas out there, A, it can pass, B, POTUS would sign it, and C, it would actually stop the next attack to which cam edwards our good buddy said yes. your bill incentivizes states to adopt red flag laws but doesn't require states to punish those filing false or malicious claims to provide any treatment to those deemed a danger to themselves or others or have clear requirements as to who can request an order so he's absolutely right. And what just in transpired there is a on Twitter is a conversation. Exactly the thing that is necessary. Pointing out the problems and the flaws and the foibles and the issues. That's what we're supposed to do. And it is why when people start screaming, do something, and they get into these mob panic modes, grown-ups, which is us, have to take a step back and say, that's not what we're going to do. Conver these things have to be slow and deliberate. But I fear this isn't a conversation, Tony, because I think we have two people talking at each other, but will they listen to each other? Will Marco Rubio see something like this, a staffer see it, and actually contemplate the counterpoints to the argument? I think that there is such a rush to get something out there because the election's right around the corner. Right. You can't look at, like someone who's opposed to common sense gun and laws. And when did, when did that become the thing? Go the other way with it. The Second Amendment remains. I start with a theory. The Second Amendment remains. Let's talk about everything else now. Don't ever come to me with anything that limits the Second Amendment. 
because that's a radical idea from radical people who are okay with disarming a citizenry, who are okay with people being weak, okay with people not being able to defend themselves. My father is 81 years old. My mother is 72. My father can't make a fist like he used to. You know what he has for him going for him? His revolver. The only way he can feel comfortable. And knowing that, in, in, when I say comfortable, the idea that he can actually protect my mom is that he's got that firearm on him. Do we, if you tell me that, oh, that's just silly of your father, oh, that's just paranoia of your father, oh, is that how your father, uh, you know, uh, rates his manhood? Those people are laughable. And that's what happens when you don't live in the real world. Men, sorry, and women believe in protecting those they love. That is not new. That is DNA. What is new is those people out there who think that they shouldn't be able to protect. Now, they can choose that. But that they would tell other people they can't protect is, is, is a radical Radical position. I'm waiting for for people. You talk about these mayors who sign on to this letter. Oh, look, it shows how they're doing good. I hate do-goodery. Do-goodery is gross and has no place in civil society. And makes for awful laws. I want the mayors who sign and say, we are willing to have every conversation there is out there, but we start with the support and the respect to the Second Amendment, and it should never go away. Now what do you want to do? And I want to see 10,000 mayors signing, signing that one right there. So... Cam brings up world... By the way, I forgot Cam was on the podcast. Cam's been on on this podcast. That is how the conversation needs to begin and go and grow. But the radical position is being anti-gun. The radical, extremist, um, periphery uh, kind of position is to be someone who says we disarm ourselves. And it goes back to this, we have to do something mentality. So when people scream this, we have to do something... If this helps, because I do say this, if this helps, utilize it. I already do something. I carry a firearm. I don't need government to do something for me. I'm already doing it. I have my rights. I have the rights of nature and nature's law. I have the Constitution on my side. I'm set. I'm good. I need nothing else. I do not need Congress to act. And since when is... At what moment... Has any society been better off having less rights? Point to it. Show it. And this is stuff that you can say. Oh, yes, but we have to do something. I'm doing something. I'm carrying it on my hip. I'm giving myself the best opportunity to go home alive. I'm giving my, my, my family the best opportunity to go home alive. Why isn't that the answer? And part of the reason is, uh, is because we've taught people on guns to be scared out of their minds and be completely irrational. Well, the other thing, too, that is hard when you're having a conversation is there are a lot of people who want to participate in the, in the conversation who had, know absolutely nothing about firearms. Nothing? A clip instead of magazine? Uh, if, you say a, if you say assault weapon to me, you say, <laughs> if you say assault weapon <laughs> They don't know anything, and they're proud of it. We go back to the mayor's letter. 250, more than 250 mass shootings in the yard. Did No one decided to check to see whether or not they want to sign their name to that? They don't, they, they don't know about firearms because, as you're talking about fingers, they don't care. They clearly don't care. Now, the, the, the question is, where does this go? President Trump has talked about we need more background checks. Uh, he's done that at a couple pressers now. Uh, Mitch McConnell has said in, in a radio interview that this is front and center. The president wants to get this done, and so do I. And we, when we get back into session, he's not calling them back early. When we get back into session, this is going to be a front and center subject. Something's coming. For the first time ever, I can clearly see that they're going to try something. And Chuck Schumer has already said what they're talking about, those Republicans, that's a cop-out. Yeah, because they're only uh, always remember this, Mr. President. Hello. Hello. Uh, Always remember this. They will never be satisfied. The haters will never, ever be satisfied until they until they get what they want. You out of office and really the eradication of the Second Amendment. Now, I don't think that's true necessarily of every Democrat, but that's true of every Democrat in media and every Democrat in power. Right? I don't know if that's true of your neighbor or you, but it's sure as hell 
true of everybody who's on uh, the anchor desk of CNN. And, and it once again shows what's wrong with Washington, D.C. If there's a problem in your neighborhood, neighbors may disagree, but you may be able to find some common, common ground to make the neighborhood a little bit better as opposed to saying it's my way or the highway. I, to me, whatever Donald Trump, the Republicans propose, it won't be good enough. And because it won't be good enough and it doesn't go far enough, Democrats won't support it. And then we'll go into the 2020 election year with gun control, gun laws being one of the front and center issues. And it could be, I mean, you want to talk about being political. It could be Republicans do move forward on something and get it passed and get it to the president and get it signed. If the House decides not to vote on it, they can blame it on the Democrats being obstructionist. If it gets voted on, they get to have something signed and then they can campaign on it and move the issue to the side. It is really possible. It is really possible. It's the new riff rye that we are checking out right here. This, I'm, I'm surprised this is very heavy. I haven't moved it to a cube yet. You're you good should. on the cube? Yeah. All right, maybe that'll help. It, it takes a little bit of... Uh, the fruity flavor away from it. If it, I'm not, no, I, and again, I, I don't think this is overly sweet. It's pleasant, but if if it if you were leaning a little too fruity on this, that cube takes a little bit of it away. You don't think this is overly sweet? I don't think it's overly sweet. It's sweet. It's sweet. I don't I don't know if I, I enjoy it. I don't know if I could have three or four of these, but I'm sure I'm enjoying this one. Can I share a story about Casey Affleck? Sure. It's your show, Tony. Oh, that is good on a cube. Yeah. That is all right. That'll work. I will keep that. Casey Affleck is the brother of Ben Affleck. He's also an Academy Award winner. Is, I, I believe he, he's once been accused of sexual harassment. And he wants to be as annoying as his brother. <laughs> so, um, supposedly, there is an interview by which Casey Affleck said that... Um, Oh, he's, he's on Dak Shepard's uh, podcast, right? Dak Shepard, armchair expert. I, I, I don't know much of his work as an actor. He's married to Kristen Bell. Uh, he seems like a decent enough dude. Um, and he, because and, he seems like kind of normal. Um, he goes, who would not be supportive of, of the Me Too movement? That's an idea that's even out there. That there are some people saying we do not believe in equality. We think the workplace should be a dangerous place for certain people and not for others. That's preposterous. That's, that's his quote. Uh, wasn't it Ben and Matt and George Clooney and others who were looking the other way on Harvey Weinstein? Of course. I, you know, everybody knew. Everybody knew. Let's be perfectly clear. Don't just say me too. Uh, and he continues, but it's very, very hard to talk about it and scares me, mostly because the values of the Me Too movement are values that are at the heart of my being. Just the way I was raised, they're baked into my own value system. He then went on to say, that he was raised to be so respectful of women. How respectful was he? So <laughs> respectful of women that his mom wasn't, uh, would not allow him to watch the Dukes of Hazard Because Catherine Bach, Daisy Duke, where, where do you think the expression Daisy Dukes come from? The short shorts. They come from the character Daisy Duke, played by Catherine Bach, who was the first body on TV. Right? She gorgeous and oh, in the outfits. Good and lord. There you got the the piece open up here on 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 foxnews.com and they got a picture of her in season 1 or season 2 rocking the Daisy Dukes right. and oh my goodness. Gorgeous sexism. My mom even then <clears throat> was so woke. She was so woke. Could could you could not be more of of a of a just, ugh, just goshed what I never want to hang out with you. And then Casey Affleck in that moment. Catherine Bach speaking out. I don't think a character should be penalized for physical beauty or a sexy wardrobe. Daisy Duke was strong, capable, and hardworking and didn't need to sacrifice her femininity to be any of those things. She knew the power of women because she was a powerful woman. It is important to look beyond appearances and see the heart of someone. I sure did watching Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. His character isn't knocked as less legitimate for his good looks, and I don't believe Daisy Duke should be knocked for her looks. Oh, man, she's hot even when she talks. She, what, is she like 70 now? How old is... Can you, can you search that? I'm looking. That? 
Right? And Casey Affleck is 43. He's talking like a 19-year-old. Oh, he does. Don't You're not Gen X. You're not Gen, we're, we're stepping you out, man. You're a millennial. And by the way, that's an insult to millennials. I'm sorry, millennials. You didn't deserve that. You deserve... So, he's a baby boomer. Catherine okay. Bach is 65 years old. 65 years old. And still looks great. God bless her. Uh, your mom didn't let you watch The Dukes of Hazard because it was sexist. That's... I mean, you, you can't get more contrived than that. Now, I want to say for the record, if, if you know Casey, you made that up. <laughs> you made up every bit of it. You made up every bit of it because you've got your own sexual harassment history. What's true, what's false, innocent until proven guilty. I would say that, Casey, and I'll defend you on that one. But you made that up. Your mother was not like that. That didn't happen. I'm putting it out there. How dare you, Tony? Well, his mother might be lovely. How would I know? How it's his dare mom. you? She was I'm a saying, trailblazer. I'm saying, no. Wokey, woke, woke, woke. Coming out, it would have been easy to be the freewheel in 70s coming out of the 60s sexual revolution to say, Casey, go ahead and watch that Catherine Bach. Actually, but his mother said no. She took a stand, Tony. How dare you question his story? Affleck is actually an old Norwegian word for Gloria Steinem. That's, that's an absolutely true story. All right, I'm, I'm doing the new riff on the cube. Here we go. Hold on. Okay. Now, we often, dis- we often discuss the fact that there are bourbons we drink that should be chilled. They would be better chilled. I'm not saying that here. I'm saying that it's better on the cube. I think the water has opened it up. Yeah. And it has. It's just cut some of that. I wouldn't say dark dried fruit. It's dark fruit. And it's cut some of that. This is now. It's a hint of fruit now. It's still, to me, it's still sweet. This is a a pretty close to overpowering rye in, in that way. Oh, yeah. Don't get me wrong. Flavor-wise, there's so much happening. It's fun and it's interesting, but there's a lot. There is... A lot happening. This is a special occasion, Rye. This isn't something, like you said, that I would keep in my liquor cabinet and every weekend bring it out. It's just something a little different. Let's have a cigar and talk about Monica Lewinsky. Okay. I didn't mean it that way. It's literally we're having a cigar because that's what we do and talking about Monica Lewinsky producing a show. I'll get into it. Fanimation. I see, before I get into Monica Lewinsky. See, I didn't mean it like that. Man. You know, even for me, I am pushing an envelope. Fanimation, great sponsor of the podcast, of the Eat, Drink, Smoke podcast, which you should be subscribed to if you're not already on iTunes. Write a review, five-star review, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Eat, Drink, Smoke. We're growing great because of you. I mean, we're getting really it's, it's been really fun to, to see it build. We're having a ball with it. Thanks to you, and thanks to you sharing it and talking to people about it, following on Twitter, Go Eat, Drink, Smoke, and the rest of the Eat, Drink, Smoke podcast on iTunes. Write a review, five-star review. Be unbelievably, unbelievably helpful. Fanimation, unbelievably helpful is our sponsor. We're talking about ceiling fans. Now, we record at Blend Bar Cigar in Indianapolis, Indiana most times. All the ceiling fans here in all of their locations. So they're here in Indianapolis. They're in Houston. They're in Nashville. They're in Pittsburgh. Fanimation fans. Totally customizable. Whisper quiet. Incredibly strong motors. LED lighting if you need them. Indoor or outdoor. However you want a Fanimation fan to work, they have got you covered. Wherever you want to place it, it's going to happen and going to work incredibly. They move the air here at Blend. They're going to move the air in your living room. And fans are artwork, man. It's, it's an accent to the room. What does it matter how you paint the walls or how you decorate if you have some ridiculous big box store fan squeaking away and rattling and and totally off-center? Get something beautiful. Finish the room off right, whether it's the bedroom, whether it's the living room, family room, Fanimation, that outdoor area, Fanimation.com. You're going to love them. You're going to love them. Fanimation.com. And then, and then write the review. Or write the review for Eat, Drink, Smoke on Apple Podcasts on iTunes. And then go to Fanimation.com and order your fan. However, listen, I'm not going to tell you how to live. I'm just going to tell you to do these two things. This cigar, I am thrilled because uh, for a while, um, Blend didn't have this line. This is Crowned Heads. Crowned Heads makes me happy in a way that is completely and totally irrational. 
They make one of my favorite cigars, which is the Four Kicks Mule Kick Cigar. Sensational smoke every single time I have had it. It's an all-purpose, like all-occasion cigar. It is just terrific. They make the Headley Grange, which is actually the name of the recording studio Led Zeppelin recorded in. Uh, They make the J.D. Howard, which is just sensational. This right here is the La Imperiosa. The La Imperiosa is a strong pup of a cigar. Now, this is not a Corona Gorda. This is not five and three quarters by 46. I'm going to say this is six by 50. That's where I'm going to put the size of this cigar. I would put this much more, much, much more into uh, that Toro, Toro Gordo even kind of place. That's where I would put it. This cigar is an Ecuadorian Habano Oscuro wrapper. That's, you know how we talk about sometimes the light brown? Look at that. Look at the deep, rich chocolate going on there. A little bit of vein work going on as well when you Ding. see the lines of the... Wow. Really? When you see the lines of the leaf and how it kind of goes, uh, the, the veins there, uh, it is this deep... It's, a, it's, not an, it's not a black chocolate. It's just a deep, rich chocolate and oily. You can actually see it shimmer uh, in, in the light right there. And this is a Nicaraguan binder and filler. Everything I've ever had from the people of Crowned Heads is fantastic, fantastic construction. A Habano Oscuro wrapper, things that I just absolutely, positively love in a wrapper. Rich leather flavors that are going to start with you. They'll start moving out as you start getting into that uh, second, third. A little more of cedar. A little more wood is going to gonna make its way uh, through. That's actually going to help because this, this thing has got strength. It has strength from word go. That's kind going to kind of mellow when you get into, into the middle of the second, third. And then you're going to already have what that strength was just kind of lingering and enjoying all the way through. Uh I always find, like right now, I do find, I shouldn't say always, I find in this, there are some places on this that are a little bit tight, uh, that I've had to do a little bit of a roll. So you take your thumb and your and your pointer finger, and wh- what do you, you call do it? The Pennsylvania, the Pennsylvania pinch. It's not actually called that. Uh, but you do a little bit of a roll to it to kind of loosen it up. You don't want it to break, right? You don't want the moment where the where the the wrapper's cracking or anything like that. And if it is, you've got a humi- humidifying problem, right? It's, it's not humidified enough. Um, I would rather... Sometimes it's over-humidified, and then it's just a soggy mess. It really is. But there's a couple places in here where it's a little bit tight, so I'm just giving it a roll to kind of loosen it up to help make sure it's going through. I'm having a touch of a... You are not, Fingers. I'm having a touch of a draw problem. I am not at I mean, all. Look at that. There we go. I just did it. I you just opened it. it up. I can tell you right off the bat, this does not play well with the rye. <laughs> they are not playing nice. No. No, I, I think this is far stronger. It, it, it would, I think it would create... It's, it, would you say that it's harsh compared to the dark fruits and, and, the, and the raspberry licorice of the, of the new Riff Rye? Yeah, and it, it does something to the palate that it, the, the fruity notes from that rye, it almost gives it a sour taste to it. It's, Interesting. At least for me. Mm. Oh, that's, oh, it's all personal, man. Yeah. That's, that's the beauty of cigars. And you have... Which app did you get? Because Fingers now uses an app to track his cigars, to say to like write himself notes. What? Oh my God, how many apps Cigar, do you have? Uh, at least uh, 150. Cigar Scanner is the name of it. You take a picture of the label. Of the label, it will identify your cigar as long as you're in an area where it's you can take a good picture. It's the Shazam of cigar apps. Yes, exactly. And uh, like for instance, uh, after the show last week. I hung around here uh, with April D. Gregory, and we we were here for another couple of hours. And I had a Zeno Platinum Scepter love the series, Zeno. and immediately took a picture of it because I loved it. Um, and you know, it not only tells you uh, you know a background on on the, the the cigar description, but also where you can buy it. Send you a link over to where you can buy right. it online. It's great. It's good to take notes. It's good to have your own di- your own cigar diary. And because everybody is different, and what we like here, you might be like, you guys don't know what the hell you're talking. You know, this is just absolutely dreadful. What's the name of the app again? Cigar Scanner. Cigar Scanner. So basically, if they're not a sponsor of this podcast within the next week, we try a different app. 
Is that how it works? Yes. We get, we get, it's, we're, we're like dealers. You get the first one for free, kid. You get the first one for free, Cigar Scanner. And after and that. Next week, MySpace. <laughs> we're coming after you. Monica Lewinsky. Monica Lewinsky, of course, is the intern who had sex with President Clinton. Oral sex in the Oval Office. I don't care that Bill Clinton had an affair. It means nothing to me. I care that he did it on my dime. That's the part that I'm most offended by. And I I have always taken the position that this is the President of the United States. This is a grown man. This is the most powerful person on the planet. He took advantage of this girl. I don't care that she was 21. He took advantage of this girl. I feel sorry for her. As I have gotten older, all right, she knew what she was doing. He still took advantage of her. She has taken a hardline position on talking about the Clintons in the past. And there is a famous interview from just a few years ago where she's on stage with somebody. And they start asking about, you know, President President Clinton's been asked if he ever apologized to you personally. And he said, well, I've apologized in general. And the the, the interviewer said, now, do you take that as, as an apology? And Monica Lewinsky said, I'm sorry, I can't continue this interview. Put down the microphone, got up and left. And people applauded and said, good on her. And how strong. And that's great. A couple of weeks ago, somebody had put out a tweet. Name a piece of advice that you got that turned out to be terrible. (laughs) And people are tweeting this and that. The other, Monica Lewinsky tweeted out, go be an intern at the White House. It's great experience. And I said, people laughed, were like, oh, that's savage. And I said, wait a second. She told me I wasn't a joking matter. She, she wouldn't do interviews. And now she's throwing a joke? What's going on here? What's going on here is that Monica Lewinsky is producing the third season of American Crime Story. Now, I don't remember the first season, but the second one was OJ, right? It was, uh, um, what's his name, uh, Ross Geller as, as the Kardashian lawyer. And uh, it was John Travolta as uh, Ben Shapiro. Wait, I couldn't remember his name. David Schwimmer. I couldn't remember Kim, David Schwimmer's name. Kim, Kim. It's great. He's like, oh, Ross is upset. I couldn't remember his name. I apologize. Oh. So she is producing this along with the guy who produced Glee, Ryan Murphy, who I might disagree with him politically, but clearly he can, he can make television. And they are doing the third season, which is centered on the scandals that lead up to the Clinton impeachment hearings. I'm sorry. I got nothing for Monica Lewinsky, and I am not watching the trash. I am. I, I, and why, why, aren't, why isn't everybody disgusted? What is she doing? She told, she told me that this was horror, that she was, she was you know, it wasn't right, and, and the embarrassment and the shame and how she was treated by the press and looking back on it, holy crap, yes, she was. And, and, and now she's like, oh, might as well make a couple bucks off that's the what thing. It, that's exactly what it is. It's capitalism 101. She's controlling the narrative. What, what is she going to get out of spilling the beans in an interview in front of a couple hundred people on stage? N- nothing. She gets a lot out of producing this. And so that's what she's doing. And she got, you know, a couple of coins out of it. This is, um, this is, I I find it ugly. Then there's the part that's very interesting. The part that's very interesting is that this is scheduled to air September 27th, 2020. Right before the general election. FX is going to roll out the third season of American Crime Story and talk about Bill Clinton's impeachment scandal. Democrats have lost their mind on this subject. They can't believe it. This this could have serious impact on the election. They're freaking out. No one seems to be bothered that she played this level of kind of like morality card as of late. And now she's like, yeah, screw it. I'm going to make some cash. That's fine. But, oh, don't let it affect our ability to get power. Do you think that, I, look, I, I don't know much about Hollywood. You, you lived in L.A. You know people that, that make documentaries and, 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 and feature films and, and television shows. I don't. 
Do you think back then she knew anything about this project? And she thought to herself, I'm not talking about it because I've got this project down the road that I may be a part of and it may take some of the spotlight away. Oh, that's old. You talked about that two years ago. Maybe she did. Maybe that's what she wanted. Maybe that's why she didn't want to put it out there. I it's listen, it's absolutely possible. Do you feel sorry for her? Not anymore. Not anymore. And and maybe that's wrong. Until this until this production, did did you feel sorry for her? To an extent, yes. To an extent, yes, I did. Because I will still say that Bill Clinton abused this girl. It's what he did. Yeah. It's this we're not denying here. We're not having we're not having a debate on the subject. That's what he did. That's who he is. If you ask me about Jennifer Flowers or Juanita Broderick, uh, especially Juanita Broderick, I I believe. Absolutely. This is who this guy is. It's not like he tried to get some. It's he took total advantage. Total advantage. I have always said this about David Letterman, who is, to me, one of the great disappointments. Yeah. Watching David Letterman as a kid, the... The, he was the anti-talk show. He was deconstructing for you how all just surreal it all was. Everything. Stupid Petricks And like, see, you're supposed to laugh at that. You know it's ridiculous. Yet here it is. And doing it. Oh, and the unusual guests he had on. Right. Oh, right. So, guests that would never step foot on a, uh, on a network television show. Like Brother Theodore. <laughs> I still go back on YouTube and watch those clips. They're comic genius. And then he decided he was going to be the old curmudgeonly uncle who sat there at the, uh, at the Thanksgiving table just a little too tipsy, screaming about people getting off his lawn. And it was, it was, it was awful to watch. I think now that he... He has the show on Netflix. He does a show called My Next Guest Needs No Introduction. I, I think he's better. I think he's, he's he, absolutely uh, he's better, under, not perfect. He's underrated as an interviewer. I, I, I do think that he is very good at an, uh, doing an interview. But the, when the politics gets in it, I, it's, it's, it's hard for me to stomach. Well, it, I, I believe that's true of, of many things. And the art of the interview is, is dead. I'm sorry. You can go through the talk show roster. The, the greatest interviewer of his time is Howard Stern. Yep. And it's an end of discussion. It's beginning and end. Um, Kimmel doesn't do a good interview. Colbert doesn't do a good interview. Seth Meyers doesn't do a good show. Uh, James Corden, who does uh, The Late Late Show, I find to be an interesting guy because he's got a history and he's got talent. He's done Broadway and things like that. But I don't know if I would consider him the strongest uh, interviewer at all. Conan, I want to I like Conan. I still want to like Conan. I don't think I agree with him on everything. Politically, but I don't. I don't watch the show enough to know what he brings into it. Did I mention Seth Meyers is terrible? Yes. Okay. Good. Just making sure. Um, but the art of the interview in, its, in and of itself is lost. So yeah, Letterman certainly by comparison is a much better interviewer. I don't think Jay Leno was ever a, a great. Oh no, he's terrible I- interviewer. It, but he at least admitted something that, that is very true. He's like, you can't talk to these people. These people are also guard, also close. They, you know, you mentioned some random director and, and some actress would be like, oh, he's a genius. Not a genius. Genius should mean something. Genius should have some kind of characteristic and qualification to it. Well, and part of the problem, too, in, in fairness to some of these hosts, uh, everybody's looking for the sound bite. And you, you, you mentioned Howard Stern. He'll sit down and talk to someone for 90 minutes. And you, you got three minutes to talk to a starlet about her latest movie. The only thing she cares about is plugging her movie. It's hard to, it's hard to get much out of that. And it, I, don't, I don't say no. I don't say But Carson was good at it. So uh, the reason they do that is because they're all playing to, to a YouTube world, right? To a, to a Facebook world where you got to have the short clip that's good for a bit. And Fallon is actually rather good at that, even though he's trailing now because he's not as political and people want to be angry with him for, for being nice to Trump once. It's so ridiculous. I have had this argument with people on long-form content for years. And one of the things I think podcasts do is kind of prove my, my thesis. People will watch or listen as long as it's interesting. And the proof of that before podcasts really exploded was TED Talks. TED Talks, regardless of the politics, 
prove that people will watch interesting people say interesting things for an hour. You will watch Malcolm Gladwell until he is done. And Malcolm Gladwell is not the easiest guy to look at. But there's a brain and there's a mind and there's ideas. Do you know how long... I don't know if Henry Louis Gates ever did one, but Henry Louis Gates, who again, I would disagree with politically, he does the show on PBS about, you know, your genealogy, where you come from, and he'll like... He'll have celebrities on, and he'll be like, okay, I did your genealogy, and here's where your, your, your great-great-great-grandmother came from, here's your great-great-grandfather, and then your great-grandfather, you see, he was a slaveholder. He, he did that to uh, Ted Danson. Some grandfather, great-grandfather was a slaveholder. Ted Danson, I thought, was going to cry right there and that. He didn't say you were a slaveholder, Ted Danson. Somebody in your family was a slaveholder. And look at you now. All bet You are not that. You realize the error of the time. Except when you were, you know, in blackface. That's a whole other thing. Oh, except for when you were in blackface when you were dating Whoopi Goldberg. Except for that. You have recognized the error <laughs> of, the, of the time. Right? And so I could listen to, I can listen to him talk about that kind of stuff and how history has traveled. Oh, my gosh. If it is interesting, if it is compelling, if the people are, are, are dynamic, you will watch, you will listen, and you love it. I am a believer that the Merv Griffin, Dick Cavett, Mike Douglas style should make, should make an aggressive comeback. And I think that's what podcasting kind of is. It is that comeback style. It just doesn't have to be with that level of purposeful droll. And, and who needs a network? You can create your own network. I mean, that's what's so great about Joe Rogan's show and how I enjoy it. Because it, he'll have a conversation and he, he will try to you know, find some common ground with his guests. And he'll have people from all over the political spectrum. And they have a conversation. But what I think, it, listen, I, I, I don't think we've ever, we've talked about other podcasts here, but I don't think we've ever like rated or, or reviewed other podcasts. I think what makes Rogan so compelling and so popular is you got to start with the idea that he isn't just talking about an issue. It is very clear he knows something about yeah. it. That he has this multiple varied interests he has what can only be described as an expertise in some subjects. Let's face it. The man is an expert when it comes to mixed martial arts. Not just talking about it, doing it. He lives it. He's serious about it. I watch videos. I don't, I don't catch the podcast, right? It's just not part of my, my daily routine. Uh, but I catch cer certain things that, that come out. I watch videos of him talking about MMA. Explaining positions. Explaining the roots. How the connection goes from Muay Thai to this to that. And you are confident in his storytelling that this comes from a place of knowledge. He is a great example, actually, of scholarship. He's a great example of the difference between knowledge and scholarship. It is one thing to know what a, what a, what a triangle is, what a triangle choke is. It is one thing to know what a go-go plata is. It is another thing altogether to understand the roots of that and to be able to recognize the move that can make you say he's setting it up the guy's setting it up watch it watch what he's going to do with his left arm watch how it goes tony romo doing the nfl <laughs> has been a freaking revelation the guy couldn't win a playoff game for the, for the cowboys and everybody always said great quarterback great guy in the locker room terrific they loved him but he couldn't get the job done his first year as an analyst for CBS, he is calling plays. Literally, he saw them walk up to the line. He goes, okay, this is going to be a screen. And then what's going to happen is that that guy, that guard right there is going to pull to block, and then that's how he's going to break it. And it happened exactly the way he laid it out. And I wanted to hate him. Oh, I wanted to dislike him. He? Oh, he's, he's, he's the best. Right now, he's the best guy in football. Yeah. It's unbelievable that Chris Collinsworth still has a job. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> They don't want to make fun of the dude, but what the hell? <laughs> it, that's just it. When people show you that they have a skill set, when people show you why it is you should pay attention to them, you know, it's like it's the old Steve Martin line. Be so good they can't ignore you, which is the best Hollywood and life advice there is. There is nothing else. Be so good they can't help but take a look at you, watch you, pay for you, do all of those things. I think that's why... That's why Rogan, more than anybody, I think Adam Carolla falls into that category. When he talks about something, like, do you know that Adam Carolla has done uh, documentaries about racing, about Paul Newman? It's a really, really good documentary. He's big into these subjects. He knows them. 
right? He, he, he digs in and, and you feel really confident in what it is they're putting out there. And they've got a, a style of, of, of storytelling and, and showmanship that, that, that adds to it. I think that's why. I think when Stern does an interview, the reason you are compelled to do it, because you know he's going to ask the question you're dying to ask. He's going to get to it, and he is gonna, he's going to get the answer. Nobody else is going to get the answer. He's just going to be fun enough and nice enough and, and, and firm enough and, and, and convincing enough to get you to say things you wouldn't say to your therapist and, in a dark room. And what, what I think is a major key to that is the fact that he's so self-deprecating. He lets his guard down completely about his life, and he'll make jokes about you know, anything from you know his personal appearance to you know his penis size, whatever. And it it, it lets the the guest guard down too. Like, oh, look at this guy. I mean, he's letting it all out. You know, why why shouldn't I do the same? And it's an intimate setting. And you're right. It's uh, between the long form interview uh, uh, format and him asking questions that other people want to know the answer to, and leading the guest in a way where he's getting an answer he's being specific in his question where it's not just a you know there are some general questions in there but he gets to a point where he asks a direct question that you have to give an answer to right. you can't just you know uh, just give a generic response that you would give but on I a think, late night talk show. i think the key is is that he puts the guest in a place where they want to answer the question and that's what's so incredibly incredibly rare so, uh, yes, I will not be watching the Monica Lewinsky thing. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to have any part of it whatsoever. Now, you are about, you're into the final, two-thirds to, into your cigar. I am still in, in the uh, first third right here. This is Crowned Heads. Can I tell you something? This is, oh, just, just let me, the La Imperiosa. This is an Ecuadorian Habano Oscuro, Nicaraguan in the binder and the filler. Um, this is more of a Toro shape, I'm going to say. Uh, I'm going to... I uh, Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's only a 54. Maybe it's not... No, no, no. It's a 52. I think it's a Toro shape. What do you think? I, I, I was going to say, uh, this is a spicier cigar that we've had in some time. The last few have been very mild. I freely admit... And it may be due to the fact that I, I didn't get much sleep last night. I'm catching a little bit of a buzz off of this cigar. It totally happens. It r- rarely happens to me, I will admit. But absolutely, if, if you don't have the more mediums for a while, it's, it can have an effect on you. you you're going to be all right? Do you need to lay down? No. I don't yeah. need a nap. I don't need a blankie. I'm okay. okay. But I, I was sitting back, and you know, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm about halfway through. And I was like, wow. Yeah. Catch a little bit of a buzz here. It's that crazy. Is, that is Fingers Malloy, by the way. Catch him on Facebook, Fingers Malloy Radio, Wham1600. That's where he is a radio host as well. You can find me, Tony Katz Radio, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Tony Katz, TonyKatz.com. Subscribe, iTunes. Do it right now. Eat, drink, smoke. Get the podcast. Subscribe it. Subscribe to it. Uh, and, and write a review. Leave a five-star review as well. It helps so incredibly much as we build and we grow. Thanks to Fanimation, our great sponsor Fanimation.com. For all your ceiling fans, check out the website. You're going to love it. And Blend Bar Cigar, our host. BlendBarCigar.com in Indianapolis, in Nashville, in Houston, in Pittsburgh. Love every second of them. I've had people uh, ask me where you could find it outside of iTunes, Tony. Is the, can it be done? Yes. and oh. uh, A fireside, uh, Stitcher, Tune in. There are other options besides iTunes. If you're an Android person and you're looking for the podcast, that's where you can find it as well. Wow. Talking smack against the Timmy Cook. (laughs) Talking smack. Good on you. This is Eat, Drink, Smoke.